Thank you. Thank you very much, Matthew. So here we, here we are, another lovely July morning. The summer continues, the heat wave continues. It might be a little bit uh, less stifling than it was last week. You may have heard in the week that's just gone that we've had our hottest June in 175 years. And the long-term forecast, the long-range forecast for this month of July suggests that we're on course to beat some records this month too. Is anyone sick of the heat wave? <laughs> no? Has anyone secretly wanted to rain even for an hour or two? Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I guess if our gardens could speak, they would certainly be telling us that they want to see a little bit of rain and that are truly fed up with this heat wave. They're pretty scorched looking, they're parched looking, and they're looking pretty miserable, or at least mine is. Anyone breaking the hosepipe ban? No, no, don't answer. No, don't answer. <laughs> Prolonged high temperatures combined with uh, a lack of rainfall can, of course, actually be dangerous. And we've seen on the news over the last couple of weeks that uh, even here in Northern Ireland, there have been some fires uh, in the Sperrins. I saw in the local paper this week that there was a fire near Helen's Bay along the coastal path. And we've seen in our news that uh, in uh, England and the Pennines that there have been more serious fires, of course, which are still going on. This heat, this humidity, uh, the lack of rainfall, this can all be dangerous uh, conditions. And the point for us living here is that we are not used to these conditions and we aren't prepared to cope with them. And we aren't prepared to cope with them because extreme heat, excessive heat, combined with a lack of rainfall is very unusual in this part of the world. But there are large swathes of the planet where this is actually the norm and where the heat is much more extreme than anything that we have lived through over the last few weeks, and where the lack of rainfall can go on for month after month after month. And there are large parts of the world, which we call deserts, that are typically starved of water completely. Nobody lives there, hardly anybody ever goes there, and that's because they are dangerous places. And they're what we are called wilderness places. And there are lots of references in the Bible to the wilderness, to wilderness spaces in both Old and New Testaments. If you all we have to think about is Sinai in the south of Egypt, the Judean wilderness, the Arabian desert, they're just some of the most common references to the wilderness or the desert that we get in Old and New Testament in the Bible. But the Bible also talks about the wilderness in a metaphorical sense, and it makes it clear that we as people also go through wilderness experiences, those times in our lives when we feel a spiritual drought, spiritual dryness in our own lives, when we struggle, when we're lonely, when we are, feel danger, when we feel that we are being tested. One of the most famous incidents of a wilderness experience in the Bible from the Old Testament concerns the story of Moses. And Moses, of course, led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt 
and towards the promised land. And as they were making their way out from Egypt, God miraculously delivered them from danger by parting the Red Sea and allowing them to pass by. This then granted them their freedom. These experiences that we sometimes have in life of being of spiritual delight, of something miraculous happening to us that we cannot explain any other way than by the power of God. These are experiences that we often call mountaintop experiences. They're moments of great spiritual delight. They're moments when we get a real high, a real sense of God's presence with us, a real sense of His blessing in our lives. But this experience for the children of Israel, of having the seas parted for them and passing on by, this was quickly followed by a wilderness experience, literally a wilderness experience. For what should have been a journey from that point on to the promised land of a few weeks actually lasted 40 years. And it was 40 years of wandering in the desert. You see, the people that God had rescued from slavery in Egypt and the people that God had provided for all along that journey in the form of food, the manna that He provided for them, these people began to complain that the food wasn't good enough, that they wanted more. And they began to look back on their old life and say, maybe it wasn't so bad after all. God was displeased with them because of their reaction. And in the midst of all of this, Moses was their chosen leader. Can you imagine what must have been going through Moses' head at that time? The responsibility on his shoulders to lead these people and all the ungrateful moaning that was going on around him. This would have been a real moment of trial, of testing, of perseverance, of leadership for Moses. And Moses had to learn in those years of wandering through the desert with these people to totally rely on God for wisdom, for direction, for strength, for discernment. In other words, what was going on here in this desert experience was that God was using it in order to test Moses' heart, in order to test his resolve, to test even his faith, and to turn him into that great leader that God had always designed him to be. And I think this story of Moses from the Old Testament is meant to serve as a lesson to us even today about what to do and about what not to do when we find ourselves in the wilderness. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians these words, these things happened to them, referring to the people of Israel, as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So what Paul is saying here is that these wilderness experiences are used by God to test people, to remind us that our strength comes from God alone, that God uses these experiences to make us more dependent on Him and to show us that we need to become more dependent on Him. And we need to learn this lesson as the children of God precisely because 
all of God's people will go through the wilderness. Abraham went through the wilderness, Jacob went through the wilderness, Moses went through the wilderness, David went through the wilderness, Elijah went through the wilderness, Job went through the wilderness, Stanley was talking about it a couple of weeks ago, the Apostle Paul went through the wilderness, many others went through the wilderness, even Jesus, whom we read about in our reading this morning, went through the wilderness. And now it's our turn to go through the wilderness. Every single one of us will go through the wilderness once, twice, or many times in the course of our lives on this earth. You might be here today, and you might even be going through the wilderness at this very moment. And if you are, I'm really glad that you're here, because what it shows is that you haven't given up on God if you're going through the wilderness at the moment. The wilderness is a really tough place to be, and we've all been there, and we all will be there in our lives. So this morning, we're going to think a little bit about what we can learn from Jesus's experience of being in the wilderness that we read about in Matthew chapter 4. The first lesson, I think, that comes from this morning's reading is this. Do not be surprised if you find yourself in the wilderness after one of those mountaintop experiences that I mentioned earlier. If after a moment of great, spir a great spiritual high, a moment of knowing God's blessing in your life, do not be surprised if after one of these mountaintop experiences you find yourself in the wilderness because the people of Israel found themselves in the wilderness immediately after God had miraculously parted the seas for them. And Jesus, in today's passage, finds himself in the wilderness immediately after that amazing moment of spiritual, uh, spiritual high that he had in his life after his baptism. That moment he had during his baptism when he heard his father's voice from heaven say, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you imagine being there and hearing the voice of God speak down to you, about you at that moment in time? Can you imagine the feeling that you would have had at knowing God's favor in your life at that moment in time? It must have been overwhelming for Jesus. How many of us have been in similar positions? where something really powerful has happened in our lives, where a great blessing has come from God. It may be that we were delivered from something. It may be that we were filled with the Holy Spirit. It may be that we experienced something of God's provision in our lives. It may be that we knew God's miraculous healing power, something that no doctor or nurse or medic in this country or anywhere in this world could ever do, but God did it. It may be when we heard him speak directly to us. And then everything goes wrong. Don't be discouraged if that happens to you. Don't be discouraged when that happens to you, because it's all part of God's plan. And that's the second lesson we take from this morning's passage on being in the wilderness, that God is always in control. Because verse 1 of Matthew 4 says this, 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He wasn't led by the devil. He didn't decide himself to go there. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. God was in control. And God was doing this for a purpose. And while we, when we go through wilderness experiences in our lives, we can't see what that purpose is. The lesson that we can take from today's reading and from God's Word is that we can trust that God is always in control, that He's right there with us. Some people say, I've heard it said, that going through the wilderness is sinful. You must have done something wrong. Going through the wilderness is not sinful. On the contrary, Matthew 4 tells us that going through the wilderness is God-ordained. But while going through the wilderness in itself isn't sinful, when we're in the wilderness, we do come under huge temptation to sin, to give up. Because just like those athletes who go to the desert for extreme endurance training to test them to their very limits, so it is that when we're in the desert of life, that when we're in one of those wilderness experiences, we need to be tested to our extremes. And if we're going to be tested to our extremes, what do we need? We need to build strength and resilience and courage. And we need to know where our strength and resilience and courage comes from. The other thing is that when we go into the wilderness, we'll be tempted to reject God altogether and to give up on our faith. And that's because the wilderness isn't just a tough place to be. The wilderness is where the devil hangs out. The wilderness is the home of the devil. Verse 1 of today's passage, and this time in full, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God sent his Son into the wilderness, and he allowed him to be tempted by the devil. And he allows us to be tempted today. Temptation is not sin, but giving in to the devil is. So we as God's people, we need to build our resilience. The novelist Sheila Skillman reminds us that as soon as anyone experiences a great spiritual high in their lives, a moment of great blessing, that's when the enemy will take an interest in you. C.S. Lewis, who many of you will have read, writes about this in the Screwtape Letters as well. In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis describes Satan's senior assistant, who is called Screwtape. And Screwtape is sitting there, plotting and scheming to recapture the lives of those people who are in danger, as he sees it, of slipping from his grip, and those people who are at risk of being lost forever to Jesus Christ. And what Screwtape does is he instructs his junior assistant 
to try every possible means to win that person back for eternal damnation. So when we're in the wilderness, we are weak, we are tired, we're oppressed and joyless and desperate, and those are the very moments that the devil will choose to try and tempt us away from God. And how will he do it? He'll do it by showing us all kinds of things that appear to be good, attractive, and wonderful. Just look at today's passage. The devil tempts Jesus with food when Jesus was hungry. The devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, all this power, when Jesus was feeling weak. In other words, the devil offers us things that are tantalizing and things that appeal to us when we are feeling vulnerable. But here's the thing. Each and every single one of those things, those temptations offered to us by the devil, is designed not to give us joy, not to fill us with life, not to give us purpose, not even to get us out of the wilderness. Each and every single one of them is designed to destroy our relationship with God. Because while the devil offers all these things that might appear to be good, what he really wants to do is rob us of life and joy and hope. Why do I say that? I say that because he wants us to rob us of the very source of life and joy and hope, which is God himself. Just look at what he says to Jesus. All this I will give you, he tells Jesus, and here's the condition, if you will bow down and worship me. In other words, everything the devil offers is about turning away from God and turning to him. That is the goal of all of the enemy's schemes. And just as it was with Jesus, so it is with us today. We have all gone through the wilderness. Each and every one of us has gone through the wilderness. It might be a serious illness that you've had in your life. It could be the death of a loved one that was really tough to get through. It might be a family separation that you just don't know how this has happened. It could be watching the suffering of a child. It might be the death of a dream that you had. It could be a crippling sense of failure that you feel. It might be a loss of reputation. It might be some addiction that has seemed impossible to break. It might have been a period of bankruptcy in your life when you had nothing. It might have been in a moment in your life when you were rejected by a really good friend and you were betrayed. What happens on all of those occasions? Every single time we are tempted, tempted to question our faith, tempted into thinking that God has abandoned us or God has forgotten us, tempted to think that all our past efforts have been worthless, tempted to think that we're not good enough in God's eyes, tempted to think that we can't possibly be proper Christians because those proper Christians, this doesn't happen to them. Well, it does. It happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. That's how the devil works. 
He wants to break our relationship with God. He plants the seeds of doubt in our mind. He sows the seeds of confusion in our mind. He tells us that God has let us down, and we'd be far better off without Him in our lives. So, when we're in the wilderness, we're going to come under huge temptation not simply to give up, but to abandon God and to do things our own way. What happens if we do that? That's the path that leads to destruction. And don't just take my word for it. Think back on that story from the Old Testament about the rebellious children of Israel who grumbled and gave up on God in the desert. The ones who refused to follow God never made it to the promised land. Instead, we have a much better example to follow in the person of Jesus, who gained the victory over the devil in the wilderness. So let's look at Jesus' survival techniques. Verses 3 and 4 of this morning's passage. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think there are two things that are important here. The first is that in the wilderness, there is no ready-made supply of bread. And nor is there any possibility to make bread in the wilderness. And if bread serves as a metaphor for our daily needs, then the important point about this is that when we are in the wilderness, we have to learn the hard way that God is the source of everything. We have to learn that His Word is faithful, and we can stake our lives on it. But here's the second thing I think we need to learn, and this is the one that I know is most important for me. Jesus recognized where temptation was coming from. I think the most important trap that we fall into as Christians when we are in the wilderness is that we don't see what's going on. We get so caught up in the misery and the pain of it all that we do not see that the devil is at work. It's like a whirlwind, and we haven't got that perspective that we need, that perspective that Jesus had when he was in the wilderness, in the desert. And it's easy to fall into that trap because the devil is the invisible enemy, but he's no less powerful and he's no less real for being invisible. It's really, really important that we, like Jesus, can see when the devil is trying to wreck our lives. Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus knew that when he was in the wilderness, and we need to know it too. Other people are not our enemies. The spiritual forces of evil are our enemy. And yes, evil can work through other people. But other people in and of themselves are not our enemy. It's the source of spiritual darkness that is our enemy. And the final lesson we need to be aware of from Jesus' temptation concerns the worship of God 
and God only. Satan promises to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus replied again to Satan from the word of God, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How many times when we've been in the wilderness have we been tempted not to go to church? How many times when we've been in the wilderness have we thought, can't be bothered going to church today? Can't be bothered reading my Bible today. Don't want to pray today. Not in the mood to worship today. How many times has that happened to us? How many times have we been tempted into filling those moments that we might have used for going to church, for praying, for worshiping, to do other things, to pursue other pursuits, to pursue distractions, to follow false gods? But that again is the path to destruction. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they decided to make a golden calf to worship, to worship a false god. What happened as a result? God prolonged their experience in the wilderness because he had things to teach them still. You see, God always puts us in the wilderness for specific reasons. Now, here's the really important thing. We're not in the wilderness because we're being punished. God puts us into the wilderness in order to test us. Because the point of the wilderness, like the point of any endurance test, is to strengthen us, to show us where our strength comes from. And it's precisely in the wilderness that God gets us to exercise our faith. But let's not be starry-eyed about all of this. The wilderness is a really tough place to be in. Whether we're there for 40 days, as Jesus was, or for 40 years, as the people of Israel were, it's going to be tough. And if you're here today and you're in the wilderness, you can't get through it on your own. It's really, really hard. You need God's help to get through that. And if you're here today and you're in the wilderness, there's prayer ministry available at the end of today's service. All you need to do is say, I'm in the wilderness, and we have people who will pray for you, who will pray for God to guide you and strengthen you and give you resilience if that's what you're going through today. But if you're in the wilderness, the great comfort you can have is that Jesus knows all about it because he was there too. And he shows us how to get through it. He shows us that we've got to rely totally on God and we've got to be faithful to him. Because Jesus relied totally on God, and Jesus was absolutely faithful to God under immense temptation in the wilderness. And the devil left Jesus. And we're told that angels came and attended him. What a transformation. A complete transformation, because he relied on God. I said a few moments ago that there's always a point to this. What was the point for Jesus of all this suffering and temptation? Well, the point for Jesus was that this experience was preparing him for his public ministry, which was about to begin. 
And in exactly the same way, God puts us in the wilderness, yes, to draw us closer to Him, yes, to increase our faith, but also to train us for the great things that He wants us to do. The other reassurance we have is that God will never give us more than we can cope with. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, we read the following. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God's promise to us in his word is that he always provides a way out. No one and nothing else does. The wilderness is that place where there's very little water. If you're a traveler going through the wilderness in scorching heat without shade or protection, and you've no water, you're going to die unless you get water quite soon. Without water, we all die. What we're being told this morning is that if we want to quench our spiritual thirst, we need God in our lives, because without that source of water in our lives, we'll die as well. So if and when you go through the wilderness, I want to encourage you finally this morning to remember what the Lord said to the prophet Jeremiah and to hear what he is saying to us today. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This is God's word to us. This is God's promise to us. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.